Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Ed and his wife, Norma, go to the state fair every year. And Ed would say, Norma, I'd like to ride that helicopter. And Norma always replied, I know, Ed, but the helicopter ride is 50 bucks, and 50 bucks is 50 bucks. <coughs> One year, Ed and Norma are walking along, and uh, they repeat the same conversation. Ed says to Norma, I'd love to ride that helicopter. Norma says, yeah, but it's 50 bucks, and Ed, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. So uh, the helicopter pilot overhears him and says, Tell you what, guys, I'll give you a ride in the helicopter. And here's the deal. If you can be silent the entire ride, you don't have to pay me. But if you say one word, one word comes out of your mouth, then you'll have to pay the 50 bucks. Ed and Norma look at each other and they say, good deal. So they get in the helicopter and they're riding along. And man, the helicopter, I had one of these experiences when I was young. I guess we got a Vietnam vet flying at me and my dad and my brother. And he takes us up to a thousand feet and he goes, boom, and drops us like, yeah, I guess this pilot did all that stuff. Did the barrel rolls, the flips, the turns, everything. And not a, not a peep comes out of the back seat. And uh, they're like... He's like, okay, well, I guess they won. So he got on the ground as he's coming down. He lands and he says, Dad, in the microphone, he says, well, you, you won. I, I guess the ride was free for you and you don't have to pay me. He said, well, uh, that's good. They said, I almost said something when Norma fell out, but you know, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. <laughs> Welcome to Harvest Ridge. If you got your Bibles, open with me in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to be today. Before we get there, let me say one more thing. We are going to do a, a business leaders meeting, business leaders meeting, uh, Tuesday night up here in the Ed Wing, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. If you're interested in being a part of that, encourage you to be there, business leaders. What's a business leader? That's somebody that's a leader in business. So there you go. Um, especially if you own a small business or something like that, it'd be really great to, to connect with you. All right, so I'm just asking you a question. What would happen if this morning we put everybody's giving records on the screen for you to see? Or what if we had a handout in your seat, everybody's giving records, for everyone to see everyone's giving records? What would be your reaction to that? What would be the reaction that would well up in your heart? Hmm. I recently had my tithing, one of my tithing statements, sent to someone other than me. I was a little agitated. I was a little agitated. My tithing statement got sent to somebody other than me. You know, right there, you know, dollar amounts given, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I give 80% of my tithe to Ohio Ministry Network so I can maintain my credentials with the Assemblies of God. The other 20% come here, and I get to give everything else here. But you know what? When that statement got sent to somebody else, I got a little bit of agitation. And I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about this mentality we have around giving and money and why that agitated me and what's the point behind it all. So here's the question. 
Why do we have such a harsh inner reaction to public knowledge of our giving? Why would we have a harsh reaction to the public knowledge of our giving? Is giving really meant to be a private matter? Where do we get that idea that it is and, and what's behind it? So some possible reasons why we don't want our giving known. You ready for this? Others would use our private information to judge or mistreat us. Now listen, I understand I'm a pastor and I understand where I live was on the corner of a road, but I had some guy comment to me one time how high my electric bill must be up that the lights were on in my basement. I should have told him none of my business, but no, 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 just think about that. How often do people get involved with your business? And as a pastor, you can imagine what it's like to live in a, a glass fishbowl. Yeah, yeah. I had another guy tell me one time, and, and the reason the cheaper than a divorce moniker came over our winter getaways is because somebody was giving me junk and saying, boy, you must be really rich. You go away every winter on a vacation. And I was like, yeah, it's cheaper than a divorce. By the way, I work all year long, birthday money, everything gets put in a sun fund. That's where I go. I go on the money I make extra money with. But you know what? I get judged for that. And maybe, maybe, maybe some of us, the reason we don't want to, to talk about giving publicly is we really believe people are going to judge us. Well, guess what? They are. But by the way, they're already judging you anyway, so why not cause it? Anyway. Uh -huh. Second of all, why, why wouldn't we want someone to know about our giving? Would we be ashamed <laughs> if others knew how little we gave? There, there's some people in this room, if I talked about your giving report going up on a screen or placed on a piece of paper, you're like crawling in a hole because you don't give and you claim to be all spiritual. Right? How about this one? Would they want more of you if they figured out how generous you really are? <laughs> There's some of you, you're so generous that you're, come on, if it were really known how much you gave, you'd be like, they're going to come after more. <laughs> or people are going to see that and think, well, he's an easy target or she's an easy target. I'm going to ask him for more. I started thinking about these things, and these things led me to a passage from Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to read a passage from Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word, and I'd like us to read together. Let's, uh, let's go through Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, and um, hopefully I'll bring a little context to it. But Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Notice we're talking about the practice. We're talking about practice? We're talking about practice? Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. Be careful that the practice of your righteousness is not in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And then he says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will 
reward you. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you spoke to these thoughts and ideas, and I pray that today you'd help me to communicate appropriately. And when we get to this offering here at the end, Father, I pray that we would give freely to our Father in heaven, knowing that it makes an impact on this earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, you got to turn to somebody. Give them a big smile, maybe a high five, a hug. I don't care. Whatever. Just let them know that you're happy to see them today. Hey, if you're online, good to see you this morning. So I want to talk to you about three phrases in this passage, okay? Three phrases that we're going to look at. So if you got your Bibles, you might want to keep it open to make sure I'm staying glued to the text. But um, the first one is the act of righteousness. Act of righteousness. Now Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. So we're talking here about not just doing things, but about acts of righteousness. That caused me to, you know, say, what? Where does this come from? Because I believe, all right, y'all ready for this? I taught a class this past week on the Gospels, and it was a Zoom class, and it was incredibly difficult to do because I couldn't see the faces. There wasn't dialogue. Try to teach a class when you can't actually really dialogue with people. It's really difficult. But teaching this class, one of the things that I am convinced of when we read the Gospels is that the average person doesn't understand the background behind the Gospels, so you miss a lot of stuff when reading the Gospels. So can I give you a little background today to help you understand this passage? All right. So there was this Maccabean revolt. It happened about 100 and I think it's 168 B.C., where um, this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a Syrian ruler, and he killed a pig on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. If you know anything about Judaism, pigs and, yeah, it just doesn't go well. So there was a revolt. Anybody ever heard of Hanukkah? You ever heard of Hanukkah? Well, what happened was in the revolt, when the, the Israelites kicked out of, uh, of rulership, the Syrian leadership, and they became their own sovereign state for a few years, the, uh, this, the, that's when the miracle of Hanukkah happened, and that's when all of that started about the lighting of the oil because they were poor, and they were in a fight, and the lamps didn't go out. Now, all of that is to say, during that time period, around 160 to 140 B.C., there was a huge resurgence of religion and paying attention to the things of God in Israel. In that time period, there were a lot of things that were written, and if you've ever read a Catholic Bible or looked at a Catholic Bible, they have extra books in their Bible we don't have in ours. And what are the purpose of those books? Well, those books were written during the time period between Malachi and Matthew. They were written during this Maccabean revolt period. Are, are y'all following me here? This is historical stuff, and I understand it's not always the easiest to follow. But there was this huge resurgence, and Judas Maccabees fought, and they kicked the Syrians out, and now they are Israel again, and they start writing these books. And one of the books that was written was a book in the Apocrypha, one of the books that's written that's included in the Catholic Bible, it's not in ours, is a book called Tobit. Now, Tobit is a story that we know, we know that the Sadducees were used, 
uh, were very well acquainted with because they tell this little story, you know, the story about there was a man that had seven wives or a woman that had seven husbands and all of them died and whose wife will she be in the resurrection? You all know that story? Anybody heard that one? All right, that is the story of Tobit. So, Tobit was a book that was around that everybody was well read and acquainted with. And I'm going to point out to you today that Jesus was well acquainted with the book of Tobit because Tobit is sort of, if I were to say, gentlemen, start. Oh, yeah, you're able to finish that, right? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers. Wow, there are a few of you that know history and the rest of you are like, I have no idea. How about this? I pledge allegiance. All right, you all got that one, all right? Do you understand there's cultural things going on here? That I say a phrase, you understand it. When Jesus pulls up the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying some phrases and everybody already understands it. You don't. So let me help you clue in to what Jesus is saying. Tobit, chapter 12, verse 8 and 9 says, prayer with fasting is good. Now, by the way, this is not equal to the scriptures, and I'm not saying it should be, but I'm helping you just to understand this is what Jesus' people understood when he talked about giving, and he talks about the triad he's going to talk about here, which is prayer and fasting and almsgiving, all right? Why would they know what he meant? Well, this is their understanding. Prayer with fasting is good, but better than both is almsgiving with what? Hold on, isn't this exactly the exact words Jesus is using? He's saying when you practice, in Matthew 6, when you practice your righteousness by giving alms. All right? So you see, Jesus is actually using the words everybody's acquainted with. Eh, Light switch should have come on in somebody's head. They understood what he was saying. And then he says, a little with righteousness is better than wealth with wrongdoing. It is better to give alms than to lay up gold. And we're going to come back to that later in what Jesus says. And then uh, it says, for almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin. And those who give alms will enjoy a full life, but those who commit sin and do wrong are their own worst enemies. That sounds pretty good stuff, right? Right? So I wonder if Jesus knew this because he uses the same triad of righteousness in Matthew 6, 1 through 18. This is the the world that Jesus was in, but what he's doing is he's going to redefine what righteousness is and how you do it according to his kingdom, not according to the existing religious expectations. And I want you to hear this from me. And I want you to hear it from the scriptures. And I want you to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. You may have religious expectations that are not right. And I want you to align your religious expectations with what God says, not about what you feel. Not about what you've been taught by people that taught you weird things, but about what the scriptures really say. So, here we go. Jesus is not condemning the big three. What were the big three again? Did you see them? Prayer, fasting, oh, that's a dirty word, and righteousness, uh, giving, giving, of, giving of alms. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So what did Jesus say? This is what he said, Matthew 6, 2. So when, so if you give to the needy. Did he say if you give to the needy? When. It is an expectation 
that you, as a follower of God, as you, as a servant of Jesus Christ, will do what? Give. Not just give to the temple. That's a different thing. We're not talking about that with kingdom builders. We're talking about giving to the needy. So when you give to the needy, when you do it, it is an expectation you will give. Second of all, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, but when you pray, not if you pray, it is an expectation you will pray. And he goes on to correct your thinking. You think you can be heard by saying words. That's the thing that bugs me about the Roman Catholic teaching is, you know, go say five Hail Marys and a Our Father. I, I don't want to rip on the Catholic faith because without the Catholic faith, we would have no faith. I respect the, the Roman Catholic Church. I respect them. I respect the stances they're taking, some things they're doing. There are other things I wish they would correct. One of the things I wish they would correct is the fact that when you pray to Mary, she ain't listening. Just read First Timothy chapter 1. What is it, verse 6 or 9 or something like that? It says, we have one mediator between God and man. How many mediators do we have? One, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So you, when you pray, it's not about you repeating some mantra or being super righteous and, oh, Father God, we thank you, Father God, for all your Father God blessings, God. Bless you, Father God, for Father God blessing us. Anybody heard prayers like that and you're like, you're saying a lot of Father Gods and nothing else. How about this prayer? You ready? Help! <laughs> a heartfelt prayer means more than 10,000 words that you're pretending. This is the teaching of Jesus. So when you pray, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to do all this crazy stuff. How about you talk your heart to God? All right? Then how about this? Fasting. Uh-oh. When you fast, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. This is an uncommon thought to most Christians. Do without food. It's really good to fast social media, yes. It's really good to fast whatever it is that you're fasting. But you ready for this one? Do without food. Do you know what's going to happen when you do without food? You're going to get hungry. And you know what you're going to do? You're probably going to get hangry. And you're going to feel all these fleshly things coming out of you, these lusts, these passions, these anger, these desires, hunger pains. And you're going to, and God's going to say, your flesh, you spend all your time appeasing your flesh rather than disciplining your flesh. And you wonder why you struggle to walk away from sin. So what should you be doing? The triad of righteousness that Tobit talked about. You should be giving alms, you should be praying, and you should be fasting. How do you fast? Do without food. T take one meal a week and do without food. And if you don't know what to pray for, pray that people who have never heard the name of Jesus would hear the message. And every time you feel a hunger pain, you say, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this because I want them to hear the good news. Or, God, I'm doing this because I want to serve you more than I want to eat. All right. Jesus expected a righteous person to perform these acts. 
for the right reasons. That's what he's talking about in this passage. He's talking about motives. And you can read these texts for yourself. And Jesus is really trying to get you to do them. Not to show everybody else how awesome you are, but to show your father how much you love him. I... I am concerned that we have a church in America that is so consumed with looking good that we have not actually learned how to be godly. And what I want for you and what I'm begging God to do in this church is that your heart and your attitudes and your actions and your checkbook and your stomach and every part of you would be fully devoted to God all the time. All right. James 2.18 says, I'll show you my faith by the way I live. Yeah. Yes, I believe we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. You can never be good enough to earn God's favor. But I will tell you this, that if all my kids do is say, Daddy, I love you, and they never cleaned up the dishes, I would know they didn't really love me. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> second of all, second phrase, to be seen. <clears throat> what I want to talk about here is motive. Now, Jesus talked about the hypocrites who gave to be seen. Let me give you a little impact, uh, understanding of hypocrites. In those days, an actor put on an entire play by himself. So they didn't have like these traveling troops of a lot of people. There would be an actor that would show up that would memorize uh, a play or something, and they would do one play by themselves. So how were they able to play all the different characters and people not get confused? Very simply, they would have a different mask that they put over their face when they were quoting whatever character. Hypocrite actually means to wear a mask. All right? So think about it. Do you have masks? Do you have the church mask, the work mask, the hang out my boys mask? What mask do you wear at whatever time? Now, there's some of that that's naturally going to happen, but what I'd really like to convince you is, is I'd like you to have one mask, and that mask is you. And what Jesus is saying that hypocrites, and it became, it was not pejorative until Jesus said it this way, and Jesus made hypocrites, this acting, this wearing mask, he made it pejorative, he made it negative, and the reason he was able to do that is because he himself was the same person, whether he was washing his disciples' feet or whether he was casting out demons or speaking to a crowd, no matter where he was, he was the same. And that is called character and integrity, is when who you are when nobody looking is the same person person you are when everybody's watching. Matthew 6, 2, when you give to the needy. So when you do this, do not announce it with trumpets. All right, we'll come back to announce it with trumpets. I just want you to notice it. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Uh, I Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. All right, I, uh, sabbatical. One of the things we did on our sabbatical is we went to a city that was destroyed in 79 AD. Now, I've read multiple books, like the book by David De Silva called uh, Honor, Patronage, Kinship, and Purity. And it was one of the best books I've ever read on the, the times of the church. And David De Silva, friend of mine, and I love him. I think the world of him, a great guy, a professor down at Ashland, amazingly brilliant person. But I never understood it, really, until I walked into this house. So can you put up that picture? 
This is a house in Pompeii. Pompeii sits right under Mount Vesuvius in Italy, and, and the ash from the explosion of the Mount Vesuvius dumped about 24 to 27 feet of ash on an existing city in two days. So the city as it was got covered up with 27 feet of volcanic ash in one day. So when they started digging the city out, you know what they found? They found 79 AD as it was. Now, in the times of Jesus, not just in the Bible, but around the entire Roman and Greek world, uh, wealth and riches were not for everyone. They were for a rare few. There were a few people that owned land. There were a few people that had wealth and power. And those few people, those were called patrons. Anybody hear of a patron? So a patron was the rich person. Now what, what we see right here is this is the door to a patron's house in Pompeii. And you see those stones at the edge of the door, the square things? That's where the people seeking the patron's privileges would come and sit outside their door and wait for their turn to go ask the rich patron for some favor. Are y'all following me here? All right? Because if you were rich, people wanted stuff from you. And if you were poor, you needed stuff from the rich. So, if you can go to the next slide, I want to show you this. This is actually a marking on the building next to it, and that marking says that it belongs to the household here. It is attached to the household here. They are a patronage. They are in patronage to the rich patron. And there's one on the other side as well. Now, when I walk through this, so let's see a picture of the inside. I believe we've got a couple of photos of what the inside looked like. It's a two-story building. They got a nice little courtyard. This is the entrance area up on the right-hand side. They had a little pool out there. This is somebody's house, people. This is a house in 79 AD. This is the world Jesus lived in. And this is the same world that you can read about even in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John in the Gospels. There were rich people who took care of Jesus' needs. If you read about it, you know, like Mark, the book of Mark was written by a guy whose parents were well-to-do and the church met in their house. And this is what, I always wondered what it looked like, what it would look like to meet in a house like this. Well, back in the day, they didn't have those fancy hedges there. What they had in that was just grass and courtyard and all the poor people would sit out there for the church service while the rich people got a chance to sit off there to the left and eat lots of food. Anyway, all that to say, what happens is this. In the ancient world, there were a few rich. The rest were dependent on them. And the rich used their money and their power to keep the people, the masses, indebted to them. That, of course, never happens today. The poor people would use would, ser uh, would service the rich people's fields, their businesses, and etc. And the rich, when they were required to be benevolent, they would be benevolent to the less fortunate to keep them attached to them rather than some other patron that would give them something. So if you were a person of money, how could you make sure everyone knew you were a good person to serve? The only way is, well, this is what Jesus said. It came time for them to give to the poor, so they would go to the poor, the rich people. They'd take their boxes of little pennies and stuff and a whole bunch of money and bags of money, and they would have people go, doo, 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 doo. the rich person is here to give you their money. Doo, 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 doo. They'd blow a trumpet, and then the rich person would start doling out gifts of alms to the poor so that all the poor people would go, oh, isn't he such a great guy? 
So when it comes time to vote, I'll vote for him because he's the one that, oh, sorry. Imagine a government official promising a chicken in every pot <laughs> so they could buy your votes. That's Henry IV and Herbert Hoover, by the way. Imagine a wealthy person holding back their tithe to control a church or a pastor. No, that's never happened either. Oh, so you see what happens is people use money not only, only to obtain favor, but sometimes to control people. And what Jesus was saying is, don't do that. <laughs> really simple. So ancient giving, though, was never private. It was never private. Uh, imagine, number seven. If you read number seven, you're going to find out there's a list of 12 people and how much they gave to the exact ounce of what they gave, how many bulls and cows and everything. And their names are there. And by the way, it's not just number seven. It's also in Ezra. It's also in, in uh, uh, Nehemiah. It's all throughout the Bible. Anytime there was giving, there was like a public record of how much people gave because the, the rich people were the ones that were doing all the giving and they wanted to make sure that the people knew they were doing their job. Uh, yeah. I, got, I have all kinds of political, what's a good way of saying it? Political critique. But I will let you critique your own politics. I'm going to give you scriptural truth, okay? Can you imagine bringing a tenth of your crops as a tithe into the kingdom of, you know, the, the temple? A tenth of your wheat from all of your fields. How are you going to hide that you're bringing a tenth of all your wheat? Huh? Suppose it's time for you to offer a sacrifice and you're supposed to sacrifice a bull. If somebody comes walking through the back door with a bull this morning, I think I'm going to know they brought a bull. We think that giving to the house of God is supposed to be private, but nowhere in the scripture, y'all ready for this? Nowhere in the scripture is giving to the house of God, the tithe, nowhere is it private. And Jesus is not talking about supporting God's work. He's talking about helping other people. Almsgiving is giving to people who are in need, not giving to God's kingdom. Are, are y'all following me here? I'm trying to... So in Mark chapter 12, verse 42, listen to this story. But a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins into worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more money in the treasury than all the others. So was Jesus, hold on, Jesus actually was watching people give and making comments on their giving. I thought your left hand wasn't know, supposed to know what your right hand was doing. Because that was not giving, this woman was giving to the temple, to the care of the church. Not using her money to make you indebted to me. Just as long as you follow the difference. So God is concerned about the motive of giving. We give to others because we get to because there is a need. So when we give alms, when we give to meet needs like we're going to do with Kingdom Builders, it's not about the dollars you give. It, we're not going to blow trumpets so that everybody can see what you do. We're going to do this because it's a privilege for us to share with the needs of others. Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And you'll have no reward for that 
from your Father in heaven. So there is a reward system here, but it's not from people. It's from God. So a story is told by Charles Spurgeon. There was a gardener that brought, they, they had this amazing carrot. He grew the most amazing carrot he'd ever seen. So he brought this amazing carrot to the king, and he gave it to the king as just a, a gift. said, this carrot's amazing. King, I want you to have it. And the king looked at the gift and said, well, you should have a field. So he gave him a field to the gardener. Now, there was a rich person there that said, you know what? I like this. You give a carrot, you get a field. So he brought a horse, a fine stallion, and he gave it to the king and gave him the fine stallion. And the king said, thank you. And he said, what? You gave the, the gardener a field and I just get a thank you? And he said, yeah, the gardener gave the carrot to me. You gave the horse to yourself. Motive matters. He thought he could get something out of it. All right, so last of all, there will be reward in heaven. Reward in heaven. If you seek the reward of people on this earth, that's all you get. Matthew 6, 2, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If you just want to be recognized by the people around you, you're done. And I love this quote. I read it on, uh, in one of my books. It said, modesty, not ostentation, is the hallmark of a believer. Modesty, not ostentation, is the hallmark of a believer. So Matthew 6, 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, we're not giving to kingdom builders to hang it over the head of the poor people in Philippines that we're going to give food so that that little girl we saw today, we, you know, like if we're ever traveling over there, we say, well, I'm the one that's been feeding you. <laughs> How big of a jerk would do that? People who give to be seen by men. Because as soon as you seek a reward on this earth, you have no reward in heaven. And if you seek a reward in heaven, you get both. It's about your heart. Matthew 6, 4, then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. When you give because God wants you to, when you do it because God wants you to, you get not only a reward in heaven, but you get one on earth too. Sadie, uh, oh, oh, the, remember the Tobit had talked about gold and all that stuff? Jesus comes back to that in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I read this story about a, a lady named Sadie Seeker. She served many years as a house parent for missionary children in the Philippines. And uh, Sadie loved books. So what she did was she would loan some of the books, but the ones she really, really loved, she kept them in a strong box under her bed. And remember, she was in the Philippines, house parent, and she kept these books that she loved, 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 hid in the strong box, and everything else she would loan out. Well, one day she was in bed, and she woke up hearing this rustling, and uh, she opened up her strong box, and termites had gotten into the books, and there was nothing but ashes and dust of the entire book collection that she loved so much. And it's a, great, it's a great truth to us. What she loaned out, she got back, but what she kept to herself was destroyed. Uh, there was a letter I got from... Somebody sent me this. This is a family at Harvest Ridge. I'm going to draw this to a close, and then I'm going to give you instruction on our offering. Y'all ready? Since becoming a part of Harvest Ridge Church, we have always made it a point to participate in Kingdom Builders. 
It's always a nerve-wracking time looking at the W-2 and doing the math to see what we're going to write that check out for because we're asking you to give one day's wages. And apparently they took me seriously. The uh, first few years, we gave what we could, not pushing the limits so we could feel comfortable in quotations about what we're giving right before the holidays. Well, last year, we wrote out a check pushing ourselves from the year before and knew it would be tight, but dropped it in the bucket at church that morning and then sat down and prayed over what God would do with the money, knowing that he could still provide for our needs. Over those next six weeks, God gave us back 5.5 times the amount of money we had put in. Money started coming in the mail from accounts that were overpaid. New clients came out of the woodwork, and we even got some unexpected tax money back. And this day, I bolded this because I thought it was good. We are certain that it was God faithfully showing us he will provide everything we need and then some if we're obedient to him. We've always looked forward to Kingdom Builders, but I think it's going to be holding an even more special place in our heart this year and all the years going forward. It will be a regular reminder of how faithful he is. We get to give that money and see all the amazing things he will do with it. And then they said this, I, th I thought that, because last week we talked about giving and then you get righteousness and all that. They said, our finances are in the best shape they've been in five years. Our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. Our blended family is experiencing true oneness like never before. Our kids are actively seeking a relationship with God. God is so good and we wanted to share what he has been doing in our lives. They spent, sent this to me before I preached the last couple of sermons. In the last couple of sermons, what I've told you is, is that when you give with the right motives, God gives back abundantly. Yes, I believe it's true. And what I would like to just invite you to today is this. I'm going to invite you to give your heart to Jesus. But the way I'm going to ask you to give your heart to Jesus is going to be by practically giving money from your account. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. That's what Jesus said. Where you send your treasure, that's where your heart goes. And I want your heart to be fully devoted to Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some time and we're going to receive an offering. This is how we're going to do it, though. Um, first of all, I apologize. We apologize. We goofed it up. This is a glossy. If you try to walk right on one of these with a glossy, with a pen, it will not work. So our ushers just happened, we scrounged around, and we have a bunch of uh, markers. If you would like a marker to fill out your Kingdom Builders for, and I'm going to tell you how to do it, they're going to pass some out, and you can share with those around you because we have limited markers. Just please make sure we get these markers back at the end of the day. Here's what we have. We have projects, and over the next year, we're going to give to fund these projects. So down here, I want to be a Kingdom Builder. This is what we're asking you to do. Just write your name down. Write your name down. If you, we don't have your address and phone number, make sure you stop by the, the welcome desk out here and fill out a card so we get your name and phone number and get you in the system, okay? You should by now. You should be in the system. Fill out your name, just your name, and then down at the bottom, just put your total amount you're going to give to Kingdom Builders over the next year. There are two ways we're going to do it. Number one, today, this is our one day to change the world offering. This is mine. Mine and my wife, we sat down earlier this week, figured up our income, our expenses. Our, actually, we figured up our income, and we decided that's what we're going to give, a day of our wages. It's what we get to do, right? That's what we're going to receive in a second. But you know what? There's some of you that uh, you didn't come prepared for that today. So why don't you plan on 
just making a pledge every month and let's do something. You can give a couple of bucks a month so that kids can eat, so that ladies can be rescued from sex trafficking, so that foster kids in Lorraine County, every single one of them would receive at least a $50 gift card from Harvest Ridge with a note saying, we love you and we're praying for you. Come on, did y'all hear what I said? Every foster kid in Lorraine County is gonna get a card from us telling us we love them. And there's some of you, you need to be foster parents. We got, yeah, anyway, more than I can say. What else are we going to do? Oh, my goodness, I just talked to Life Publishers. We're actually going to help Life Publishers print a version of the Fire Bible in, uh, no, not Mongolia, it's Bahrain or something like that. Anyway, it's someplace, someplace I can't even remember the name of it. Um, yeah, we're going to, oh, Bangladesh, there it is. It's like if it's right on the card. Uh, Convoy of Hope, that goes to feed, feed children throughout the year that have no food. Builders International, uh, you heard about what we did with the project with the place they were building, the safe out there building in Malia, Spain. There's another one going up in um, Guatemala. We want to be a part of that. And they're working together with Project Rescue, which rescues girls from sex trafficking. Um, there, yeah. What I'm telling you is, last year, I, by the way, you need to know this. What I hold in my hands, my sweaty fingers right now, is a statement of all the money that we gave this past year and where it went uh, from Kingdom Builders. We had a few dollars that we needed to give away, so we gave away $1,800 this week. <laughs> uh, to a, uh, a pastor in Madagascar who, uh, anyway, yeah, some Bibles for the Nicaraguan pastors we're going to. Isn't it great that we get to do stuff like that? And by the way, I'm not standing up here asking every week for money for this stuff because we do it once a year and we get to give, like last year, we gave $25,000 to Convoy of Hope to feed people. It's good, right? Hey, listen, listen. Most of you have a car you have a house for your car. Most of you have a house for your car that's better than the houses these people in, in these places were feeding these kids better than the houses they live in. So I, I'm not guilting, I'm not shaming, I'm not doing anything. I'm just saying, hey, we get to do this. How about we do it? So here's how we're gonna do it. All right, here's how it's gonna go. There are buckets up here. There's a bucket here, and there's a bucket here, and there's gonna be a bucket. Here, Pastor Robin, would you help me out? There's going to be a bucket here. There's going to be a bucket down there. And here's what we want you to do. We want you, this is all right for your left hand to know what your right hand's doing today. You know why? Because we're not giving this to impress the people in this room. We're giving this to meet the needs of people around the world, right? So it's okay for us to get up and us to bring our offering forward. I may look up here and see who puts in two small silver points. No, I'm just joking. That was a story I used while ago. This is a privilege for us to give. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer. And then if you've got your one-day offering, you want to bring it. Your regular offering, you want to bring it. Pledge form, you want to bring it. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to celebrate as we give because what we get to do right now is make an impact on people's lives around the world. All right? So, Father, 
bless this offering in our time of giving. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing and have some fun, and uh, then we will pray over these offer this offering in a minute. Oh, by the way, I'm supposed to tell you, you can also do all of this online to openingpageofharvestridge.net.